Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All right, everyone. Welcome to the second annual technology.fm Yuletide Fireplace Chat, looking at the smart home. Uh, I am actually Michael Wolf. I am, I don't know, what you guys, you nominated me to kind of drive the show, I guess, moderate it this year. Jason, you did a great job last year. So I have to, I have to work, I have to follow in your footsteps, but we're going to start off this podcast. Uh, if anyone who doesn't remember last year, we joined together and had a chat, uh, all these different smart home podcasts that are part of the technology.fm technology podcast collective and talked about what we saw in the smart home. We talked a little bit about the year that had passed and we took a little bit of a look forward and we're going to do the same thing this year. I'm really excited to be joined by the folks at home tech FM, Jason and Seth. Why don't you guys say hi? Hey, how's it going, Mike? Thanks for, uh, Hey Mike, how are you? Thanks for step stepping into the, uh, into the hot seat this year. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. And we also have uh, Richard Gunther over at Home On. Hello, hello. Good to be here. This was a lot of fun last year. I am looking forward to this episode for sure. One thing we didn't clear up before the podcast, who's doing sound effects? Is that you, Seth? <laughs> yeah, that could be. Make it happen. I've got a, I've got the eggnog, which, no, wait, this is rum. <laughs> oh, I forgot, the, I forgot the alcoholic beverage. That's where I messed up. Oh, man, rookie. Total rookie mistake. So we have uh, three different podcasts. We have the Smart Home Show. I'm the host of that. We have Home Tech FM with Jason and Seth. And we have Home On with Richard. And we all talk about Smart Home in, I guess, similar but sometimes slightly different ways. We have our own lens on the market. Um, I think folks who listen to the podcast know the the way we come at it. Uh, I don't think we really need to go in that. And I think that'll probably come out and be teased out a little bit in the conversation today. And what we're going to do, and I like this, Jason, I think you put this first, we're going to revisit last year's predictions. That's always good. Seeing how wrong we were. <laughs> That's right. I thought that was a good place to start. Show everyone how not smart we are. So I'm going to start off. You have me up uh, teeing this this baby off. And it looks like my big three predictions were that services and monetization strategies in the smart home would be a, would be a big focus in 2016. I also predicted that the intersection of machine learning, AI, and the smart home would become a big theme. We would see that more and more. And then we also, I also predicted that Bluetooth versus Thread would be this big epic battle. And I think that one I'm going to start off with, that was kind of a meh. I don't think <laughs> that one. That one kind that of, one kind of clunk. You can hear the clunk. We need the clunk sound now. So. But uh, you know, just revisiting that story a little bit, I, it was kind of quiet for both of those technologies. I still am not seeing a lot of momentum for Thread. Bluetooth had a strong finish to the year. They just announced uh, Bluetooth five. I wrote a little post about that. Um, what we didn't see out of Bluetooth was Mesh. Still, and I still still haven't seen it. They the the, the Bluetooth SIG folks told me that that will be coming in the first half of 2017. We will probably hear something early in 2017 about when that's coming. So I still feel like the complete picture for Bluetooth in the smart home has to include mesh, just because when you look at Bluetooth on low power devices, they're not going to be able to do Bluetooth 5 extended range uh, 
most likely. So I think that mesh is going to be a big part of the story there. So what do you guys think on that? Yeah, the the, the best quote I heard about Bluetooth uh, is uh, they should change their slogan to Bluetooth. It'll be great next year. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the. I think that there's a an entity that already has it. That's a smart home. Oh, the smart home's always like, <laughs> yeah. Ow. that's already been, that's already been Ow. trademarked. Shots fired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that one did, did kind of fizzle out. I, I agreed with you when you, you said it last year. I went back and listened to the, the, uh, last year's episode this week and was, I, I really enjoyed seeing these predictions and, and seeing how some of them, you know, bore out. I, I do think Bluetooth versus thread is, is probably one to keep an eye on moving forward, but yeah, not, not as big of a story this year. I don't think as, as any of us thought. Uh, I do think that the the intersection of machine learning, uh, you know, AI in the smart home that you uh, mentioned last year was was definitely a home run. That, oh, that's yeah. a huge one that we've seen uh, yeah, so my, much my, of. My comment know. on that was ding 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 ding. Yeah, <laughs> winner winner chicken dinner. <laughs> <laughs> There's the bell. That was great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, seriously, I think overall in technology, the the white hot sector of the moment is artificial intelligence. It's bots. And I think there's a flavor of that in the smart home. Clearly, I think we it's the female-sounding artificial intelligence that shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> apparently, I'm not supposed to say it. <laughs> uh, starts with an A. That was uh, obviously one of the big big ones. I think Google's and, and Apple both started to, to think more heavily about that. So, yeah, that was a big one. Mike, I know you have both now, uh, Google Home and Alexa. Can you give us a report so far, how they how they compare? Well, I've I felt like uh, Google Home still is a little bit of a work in progress. It, it doesn't have as much instant information. I still they'll still think they're building out the database. Um, what I've been disappointed with is, and this is just a nitpick. I think we talked about this, Jason, when we had you on the podcast. Is it it doesn't sync with my uh, Google Apps accounts. It only works with Gmail.com right. accounts, which I found just a little bit of an annoying nitpick. Um, but overall, it, it's a it's a pretty good product out of the gate. So, uh, have you either be, any of you guys got that yet? Besides me, the we we bought two of them for work, and we sent them back immediately once they didn't work with Google Apps. It, they it just wasn't worth yeah. Us there you go. For it. So yeah, it, not not so much a nitpick. Huh. I mean, how do you have a personal assistant that can't tie into your work life? And and I mean, what are you supposed to have? Just one right? Google account? I, no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, that was the exciting part for me. Like, wow, I have all these. I live in Google. Right from a workflow perspective and like this can surface my calendars. Well, not I might yet, point so. out it's called Google home, not Google work. <laughs> There's Richard, the voice of reason. Oh, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> no, the I, wah, wah sound effect? <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a big deal. And I said that when I came on your show, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I live in Google as well. That's my, my day job here in Denver at, at a home technology company, home tech, .fm. Uh, we run all of that through Google Apps. So an increasing amount of my life and scheduling and correspondence all runs through some form of of Google Apps. And so to not have that seems like a pretty pretty big deal to me. But uh, I get your point, Richard, too. And uh, I guess that probably presumably wasn't uh, a huge uh, you know initiative of theirs right out of the gate. Google has a history of rolling out their features first to the general product line, and then adapting them for the apps. And I have a feeling that's because of additional security and complexity associated with the, you know, the infrastructure that 
keeps that all the apps working together. And you had, as one of your predictions, Richard, that Google and a couple of the other big guys, Apple and Microsoft, would continue to move into the smart home. And so with Google launching Google Home, you were pretty spot on with that. Yeah, so I think I probably fared a little bit better here because my prediction was that the three big tech companies were each going to make significant inroads in the home. And I talked about how Google and Apple and Microsoft even were all going to make pushes into the connected home. Google launched Google Home. I would call that a win. I know it's not there yet. I know it has a long way to go yet, but they finally got into the home stuff and they had been talking about Google at home years ago, like two, two and a half years ago. This instead, this is their big play. I kind of wish that they had maybe put an additional radio or two in the device so that it could also act as a hub for all of the thousands of different devices that are available today. For whatever reason, they chose not to do that, but I think this is a great launch for them. Now, Apple, uh, HomeKit's real now. And I'll talk about HomeKit a little bit later in the show, but for all intents and purposes, Apple has made their play. They have said HomeKit is here, It's a major part of our OS now, and I think we're going to see a whole lot more of the HomeKit devices coming out, and this is the make-it-or-break-it year for HomeKit, as far as I'm concerned. Now, Microsoft. Man, I'm so glad for the last couple days, because I would not have made this (laughs) one had it not been for the announcements that just came in under the wire. So Microsoft had all join baked into Windows 10. And pretty much as I had suggested last year, nobody cared. It was a great opportunity for developers, but nobody's really building to all join. Not nobody, obviously, but very few people are paying any attention to all join. Just within the last couple of days, Microsoft teased that their Cortana AI is going to be built into all kinds of consumer products. And the first one that they've officially announced is a partnership with Harman Kardon. So you'll have a Harman Kardon speaker that looks suspiciously like an Echo. And instead of responding to her name, it'll respond to Cortana's name. And it will give you all of the Cortana goodness and They've announced a skills kit to allow developers to build all sorts of support for it. So this isn't coming until 2017, but I'm going to call this maybe a half win. Nice. <laughs> My only warning there is just don't play Halo around your right. <laughs> Cortana integrated speaker. I might go nuts. <laughs> Do you have to actually call her name out with hey when you're playing <laughs> Halo? I don't honestly know. Yeah, Richard, I, I think you did. I think you did get them all in there, though. And I was last year. There was kind of a a spirited debate. We won't go into it too much because, like you said, you're, we're gonna we're gonna touch on HomeKit a little bit. I'm sure as we move through the rest of the show. But I know last year HomeKit was was one of Seth's big picks, and and there was a, a nice uh, sort of heated dialogue there about if HomeKit was 
was a real <laughs> deal or what was going on. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, this was a big year for HomeKit, and, and I agree. 2017, to me, looks like a make-it-or-break-it year for, for Apple's initiative there. Now, Seth, let's move on to your predictions. I think one of the big ones for you was we'd make progress towards the conscious home. So first of all, explain what you kind of meant by that and how you think we did on that prediction. I probably should have listened to the episode again to remember what I was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think it falls in line with what you were talking about with the intersection of AI and machine learning. Um, The the home becoming uh, not something that is just uh, reacting to you pressing a button or timer events that are going off, but something that actually um, learns your habits and learns what you want to be doing. Uh, and, and does it for you automatically, true home automation. And I mean, to that to that respect, I don't think we've seen any real progress, but I think that's where everybody is still aiming down the road. And you definitely saw that with um, the, the video that uh, Google introduced Google Home with. I mean, if that doesn't tell you where they have their, 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 their site set on what uh, home automation is and should be, um, I, I don't know what does. I mean, it, it has all of that in there built into uh, a device that doesn't do much today, but could down the road uh, fulfill this pro- promise of a conscious home. Something that, something that, something that reacts to you rather than being around, rather than just triggering off random events that 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 you've pressed and, and made to want happen. Although it will still do that. Um, I, I just think it, we're not there yet. But um, I mean. We've seen Amazon just in the last couple of weeks uh, release, uh, not release, but, you know, put on the, on the cloud, on the, the uh, AWS services, uh, more machine learning and AI stuff. Uh, we, we've seen Google getting further into this. And, of course, Apple is still on the hiring spree and hiring everybody up around this. So I, I don't think this is, this is uh, anywhere near done, and I, I don't think it will be for quite some time. Um, but uh, at least it, it still looks interesting, and I, I hope that we start – seeing small things, you know, small, small things along the line of of getting to where that Google video really showed where it could be. One thing that all these guys are good at are making these one minute intro videos to what the future of the home looks like. They're all so polished. (laughs) They're amazing. good at that, right. But to your point, Seth, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think the home understanding you, uh, understanding the context of what you're doing is going to become more and more real. This wasn't quite smart home, but I was I, I was so fixated and fascinated. You guys probably saw the Amazon Go announcement from Amazon, this idea of this future grocery store. Yeah, I love that. I think they're going to take some of those technologies and, and kind of weave those in the home, whether that or not that's facial recognition, knowing who the person is, what they call sensor fusion, which I think is basically just triangulation between the different sensors to understand what you're doing, whether it's pulling a, 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 a package good off the store shelf and walking out or just going into your refrigerator. They're going to know what you're doing and then be able to, to give you some sort of response to that. So I think we're on track. I think I think Amazon and Google are going to be the big ones to watch in that respect. Yeah. You know, I feel like we have products and companies that are doing this, but I don't think that we're anywhere close to the whole right. home being this way. If you look at some of the products that are out there, even just general consumer products like the Beyond Lights or the Stack Lighting or even the Nest Thermostat, which was one of the first products to kick this all off. They're all built on this idea of the product learning your behaviors and adapting accordingly. And I think each of them are doing a pretty good job at that. I'm really impressed by how well the stack lighting system that I'm testing has 
learned my schedule and adapted to my habits. So I, I think we're going to see more of that in products, but then we're back in that position where, okay, well, everything is doing its own thing. It needs to work together. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to Jason. Now, Jason, we you have predicted HomeKit and continue innovation by Google and Nest, which we've talked a little bit about. You yeah. can touch on that if you want, but I think let's talk a little bit about the Cedia channel push towards managed services because I think we haven't talked about that yet. And that's an area that you watch. That's an area you watch very closely. How'd you do on that prediction? Yeah. Well, first, I want to say my my prediction about continued innovation by Google sounded pretty good until I added Nest onto the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> right? What happened there? My gosh, just a train wreck. But uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a, a little bit later. Yeah. To your direct question, Mike, I, that was my prediction last year, and I think for sure it was a trend that we saw this year uh, playing a huge role in Cedia. It was actually. Probably to me, the most uh, single most important story that I, I saw come out of Cedia, it was like these managed services and, and what we've kind of coined on the Home Tech Podcast is RSM, uh, Remote Systems Management Platform. So products that allow you know home technology professionals to uh, remotely monitor and manage their client systems and, and prevent truck rolls and, and really provide a high level of service. And, and you know, the the end game to all of this, the big goal and the holy grail right now in, in the professional home technology space is RMR, recurring monthly revenue. That's a, a huge topic uh, amongst home technology professionals and, and figuring out how we can kind of get our clients onto uh, recurring plans and paying for service. And, and I think that's something that we'll continue to see moving forward. But definitely, it was a story that I predicted last year, and I think that definitely bore out. You know, I think one thing we all have to keep an eye on is the, the fast rising importance of things like online training for professionals, things like I don't know, Home Tech Academy. <laughs> you, you, guys can, you guys can send me the check later. <laughs> nice. Nice, Mike. I appreciate that. I, yeah, that was actually really exciting. I think I'm excited for that. We, we won't go into that because that's another topic. But uh, Yeah, we can point people, point people back to the uh, – you were kind enough to have me on your show recently to, to talk about it. So we can point them back there, check out the Smart Home Show. I, I really appreciated you having me on, and it's definitely an initiative that we're, uh, we're very excited about. Now, the next wave of questions, we, we kind of finished our retrospective look back. I, you know, I don't want to grade us, but I think I probably had maybe a C minus. This is, uh, this is self, self-grading look, exercise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's, look, let's look at what we thought was the most surprising or our favorite story of the year. And this doesn't have to be something that is like the biggest breakout story, but, you know, it can be. But, you know, what you kind of, you know, what you kind of saw is like uh, – a nice surprise or one of the things you thought were favorite. I, I think that I was pleasantly surprised uh, by some new products. One of the things I liked was the nucleus. I don't know if you guys saw that, that home intercom system, I thought that was a really cool, interesting category. And it's one of those things like you just kind of go, well, why hasn't anyone done that well yet? Cause that just seems kind of natural. So that, that was one. Have any of you guys checked that out? So I actually saw that at Cedia and, um, it, you know, I, I have to admit, I kind of glossed over it. Um, they were at the Amazon, uh, the I'm sorry, the Echo booth, Amazon booth there, and uh, it's an interesting product. I, I I didn't give it a lot of attention, and and I have to be honest. I heard you mention it recently, Mike. I think actually in one of your newsletters, and I said, oh, maybe I should give this thing a second look, honestly, because I I hadn't been paying attention. I think it's actually a pretty interesting product, and and incidentally, we had a, a client recently request an, an intercom system at our at our work, which I was very surprised by. I don't know that we've had that request, and gosh, I don't even <laughs> remember when. But, um, you know, it's nice to kind of have a new generation 
uh, product that we can maybe point at. And I thought one of the other interesting applications is is for like, um, you know, aging in place potentially was one of the things they mentioned at CDS. So something easy for, uh, you know, an elderly parent or somebody of that nature to uh, just pick up and do some FaceTime, you know, uh, calling. I, th- I thought it was very cool. So interesting looking product. Yeah, I don't know if I can guarantee its success. I still feel like, you know, FaceTime on iPads, like you may ultimately be the winner with, you know, some sort of like intercom system. But I think it's an interesting watch, interesting one to watch. I also think uh, just the continued success of products like Ring is, I guess, I would call that surprising. It's just it just keeps continuing. You, We aren't seeing necessarily the whole home smart home really kind of kicking butt. But it's these standalone products where people see utility in them. And consumers understand. I think that's the key. Consumers get products like video doorbells. So that's why we're seeing those those types of products continuing to do well. Yeah, I love that product. You know, that's something that I've been a big fan of since they introduced the Ring version of that. Ring really being the next generation of DoorBot. And I think that they've done a, a lot in this space in terms of raising awareness in terms of getting it out in front of people well, in, in terms of advertising, they seem to really be doing everything right right now, including, and this is why I love it more than any other product out there, sorry, Skybell, I think the industrial design of this thing is perfect for the front door. So many of these products out there just look way, way out there like they belong in a spaceship or something. Right. Have you seen the Vivint? The Vivint one's pretty good. Yeah, that one's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it's not too, too bad. I, I think the whole front door is a great space for smart home, including the locks, uh, the doorbells. I, I just think there's a lot of utility there. So I continue to think like the smart front door is like a great area for these guys. Yep. Absolutely. So Richard, you let's hear a little bit about your your surprises. You were you you want to talk a little bit more about HomeKit? You felt like it came of age this year. Well, I did, and that was a huge surprise to me because if you listen to last year's show, I kind of jumped down Seth's throat when he was talking about how awesome (laughs) HomeKit was. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Because my experience with HomeKit last year was nothing but bad. I had less than a 50% success rate with it, with the products that I was purchasing or getting from vendors and testing. And so I was, you know, joking with everybody else that this year at WWDC, what do you think? You think we're even going to hear HomeKit? And I was resigned to the fact that we were not going to. But instead, it was one of the top 10 features that they highlighted when they announced iOS 10. And they gave it like top real estate in the OS, it is a part of the control center, which is available even when your device is locked. I mean, I was stunned by how much yeah. visibility and support Apple put behind HomeKit in this past year. And for the most part, it does now just work. I still have devices that occasionally it can't find, but you know, that eventually works itself out. And I'm really impressed by this. I didn't expect this to work out this way at all. Now, Richard, do you have an apology to make? 
Seth, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think I think you were right on last year. Um, but the the what what I think I was looking at was for, forward moving. Uh, the infrastructure, the plan, the idea of HomeKit is so unique and interesting. Um, to me, looking down the road, I, I could only see how it could only get better from where it was at. Um, e- even with minor investment from Apple, I was not expecting uh, it to be a top 10 feature. I was not expecting it to be on the lock screen of the phone. I was not expecting it to be you know, well, so well integrated in with iOS 10. I mean, that's just not... not I was thinking, hey, we're going to get a couple more devices and some third-party developers are going to come out with some really nice uh, third-party apps to control this stuff, not right. not Apple themselves. So right. um, it, it's definitely gone well beyond the expectations that I had for it this year. And I, I'm excited to see what they can do with it because I, I do think the vision is completely unique to what something that Apple can do. Um, or And I, I think that they have a jump on everybody at this point. I mean, it, we... <clears throat> a lot of the pundits made fun of them early on, but I, I don't see anybody playing this catch-up game. Uh, you know, I, I don't see this this type of HomeKit API being built directly into Google Android, for example. It's just not it's not there. But you have over a half a billion devices walking around with HomeKit on them and running. Uh, that that's that's a huge that's a huge market for anybody to look at and, and to ignore. It's just it's crazy. If you're a business, <laughs> why would you ignore that many customers? I mean. Um, granted, a small portion of them will be buying HomeKit product, but uh, that's a small portion of that many customers is, is still a lot of customers. This is kind of crazy, and it's early days yet, but I almost feel that even with the approved hardware requirements and the certification process, that we're getting to the point where if you're coming out with a new device that works with HomeKit, is almost table stakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think that, uh, I, you know, I, I won't rehash it too much, but I, I thought that their decision to include home control within the control center from the lock screen, that if, you know, if you're not really tuned in and, and paying attention, that that's one of those things that could easily just escape you. But to me, as somebody who follows the smart home and, and a little bit of development and how Apple's been moving through that space, you know, to me, that that is significant. The fact that they they chose to do that that's that's hallowed ground in, in iOS, and so the fact that they uh, would give Home HomeKit that sort of front uh, front and center billing um, in iOS 10, I thought was was significant and really showed that Apple is very committed to to the smart home, which is something I think we were all starting to to question. Now, your second runner up, Richard, is is I think we all were a little bit surprised by how public Nest troubles were. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And you know, part of it is that the troubles that they had were so public and it was like watching a train wreck, right? It it was like you're you're reading someone's Facebook page of a breakup or something. It it was just It was like wink. It was insane. like it was like wink 2.0. Right. <laughs> Actually, right. I mean, wink was far less nasty, right? I mean, this just got yeah, down yeah. and dirty nasty. And, you know, I, I kind of want Seth to weigh in here too, because he had the same point. And certainly the two of you have talked about this on the show a lot about what a meltdown they had. I don't think anybody from the outside saw that coming. I think we looked at Nest as Alphabet's darling 
and expected that they would carry Alphabet's vision of the connected home forward. But in fact, what happened was they melted down and Google basically did an end run around their own company to get stuff out there. Yep. Yeah, I I, I mean... If if I was thinking HomeKit was going to to, to do well, I, I sure wasn't thinking that this was going to happen to Nest. Just just a couple of heck, it wasn't even a couple of weeks later. It was by February. We were we were constantly talking about Nest and the troubles that they were having. Um, and I I mean I can't believe that today they're they're, they're we're still waiting on product. I mean, what do they uh, have? I don't know other what you're than... talking about. They put out lots of new product. <laughs> Come on. Right. We have colors now. We have colors on the Nest thermostat. And, and a really sweet outdoor camera, right? <laughs> yeah, with a beautiful white cable that everybody's spouse <laughs> is going to love cord. having stapled to the wall. Uh, swing and a miss, man. Ouch. Yeah. I I, I can't believe that uh, I can't believe that we, we're here in December and uh, Nest has released, I mean, really... What, what's a, what's amounted to? I mean, we we were all joking around nothing, here, but like nothing, really nothing. zero product. Yeah, yeah. A couple of nice point upgrades, I would say, especially on the software side, where the the cameras can now uh, detect motion detection. The motion detection, not just pixels moving, it's people moving, and you can pick that up. That's nice. Um, but I mean, that's that's software. That's not that's not hardware. That's not what I thought. That's not what I think everybody was thinking that these guys were going to come out with. I mean, where's, where's the nest security system where, I mean, nest it's, it's, it's made for the home. Like that, that name right there is perfect branding and they have a couple of cameras, some smoke detectors and a thermostat still just, just unbelievable. So yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm just shaking my head at this one. It, it just doesn't make any sense. To it me. seems like it was driven in large part by Tony Fidel. And like, that was, from the beginning, in retrospect, looking in the rearview mirror, a force fit. It was not a great fit for, I think, Google's model, which, you know, he's used to kind of being kind of a, a, a kingpin uh, and driving uh, things. And uh, he and, and he just had all these turf battles. The drop cam open letters uh, from the and the response from the old drop cam CEO. Mm -hmm. It was just it was just like you said, a, a, a slow motion car wreck. It was it was amazing to watch. Yeah, I, I got to wonder, I, we, and we can move on here, I'll, I'll make this quick, but I, I just have to wonder with the new leadership, you know, what we'll see from Nest, particularly in light of the fact that Google did an end around on them with, with Google Home, and, you know, how's that all going to shake out? We had Gene Lenoy on our podcast uh, a number of weeks ago, he's the head of their pro channel, and, and he great guy, he seemed like, they seemed like they really get it when it comes to the professional, and that's obviously, a, I think, a small piece of the pie for them, although he did say it represents a, a substantial portion of their sales, and so... You know, with with their installed base, um, their huge presence in the market, just in terms of consumer awareness and new leadership. You know, I, I don't think we write them off, but I am very curious to see what you know what they're able to do uh, moving forward. We also just real quick, we should mention. I mean, Google's efforts in the smart home is or or more than just Nest or more than just Google Home. They just announced, as you guys probably saw, Android Things, which is basically their. I think it's a renamed Brillo is basically what it is. So it's their Android-based OS for Internet of Things. So I think we'll uh, we'll see more from Google next year, including, I think, what I would call ingredient technology and platforms. If Google introduces one more infrastructure component without you, actually <laughs> delivering product <laughs> yeah, on yeah. it, I'm going to rip my hair out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Hard to keep, it's getting hard to keep track. Seth, I have to ask you, well, you're... you're, you're one of your big surprises 
of, of, of 2016 <laughs> was the Wipe Warmer 3000. You have to tell us what this is. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, a, it's a key part of our show. And uh, I, I, there, was a, there, was a, there was an invention that I made, uh, and, and I sent over to, uh, to Jason uh, earlier this year. This was a year. story arc. It covered multiple episodes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it, it culminated sure in Jason did. opening a box live on air and uh, <laughs> pulling out of the box uh, a, a Internet of Things controlled uh, wipe warmer. Uh, for uh, baby wipes and uh, revolutionary, yeah, yeah, it's a visionary product. And uh, if you go to wipewarmer 3000com if that domain still works, um, that should bring you to the. Also, kudos for that. Seriously, <laughs> well, you know, marketing. So <laughs> it's it's got to uh, it's got to happen. So. Um, I haven't really come up with anything for this year. I've been kind of busy myself, and I may need a white warmer three thousand for myself. But um. hey, speaking of that, Seth, now's now's probably a good time to give a quick mention here. I know you, uh, you and your wife are very getting very close to your your due date, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm we're on baby watch right now, so um, so I, I'm not going to run out of here Seth any just any be... second. But it, hey, it's, guys, it's, let's 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 kind of a uh, mute Seth for a while so he can't hear us. Maybe you're just Seth. Don't listen, guys. Let's go in on a wipe warmer three thousand for Seth <laughs> as a baby gift. I have a better idea, Mike. A wipe warmer four thousand. Oh, the four thousands out. The second oh, gen. <laughs> Seth, your next big surprise, your next big trend of of 2016 was M and A Madness. There was a lot of consolidation this year. Yeah. No. Uh, just scrolling back through all of the stories of of, of 2015, I, I I kept seeing you know uh, ADT has been acquired, Vizio has been acquired, Nortec got acquired, uh, Snap AV has been on a buying spree on the, in the Cedia side. Harman was purchased by um, uh, Samsung, and of course the big AT and T Time Warner thing that's still floating around out there. Um, I, I'm I'm not a business guy, but I know you are, Mike. This this is a lot of money to be moving around, and uh, what's going on with this? Well, I think there. You know, we talk a lot about how how smart home changes. It's kind of disruptive how it changes things. I think to a certain extent we are seeing that with things like ADT uh, getting acquired. I, I think that you know the reinvention of home security has been a, a, lot, a thing I've written a lot about. Um, I think that's that's a, a big deal. The AT and Time Warner thing, I think, is it's a bigger story than just smart home, but I think that's a part of it. Um, so I think we're just kind of in the you know the telecom world is consolidating, the the security world is getting mature, and so I, I think that's not all that surprising. Nortec is interesting because they're kind of like in some ways an old school company, but they also have some pretty cool smart home stuff. Um, so that one was a little bit surprising to me, but I, I think it was a good move for them. It it felt, I mean. Just as an outside guy and looking at all this stuff, it feels like there's a lot of money out there that's been sitting on the sidelines and, and people have had you know money to buy um, companies with. But um, I think one of the words you use there just really is what I, I kind of feel about this too. It's, it's like a, ma- a maturity thing. Like th- this is this is what happens in a mature market. These these companies get bought and sold off and bought and sold off, and that's what we're seeing happening. So. Um, no, no products from Nest, but everybody, everybody else got bought up and then and, and and sold off in different directions. It's kind of crazy. Just a crazy did year. We for see, that. Did we see any big high profile? I'm trying to think now. I'm racking my brain. I'm going to I'm going to kick myself later. Any big high profile smart home startups get acquired? 
I nothing Not nothing jumps to my mind. Year. No, this was there was no there were no nests this year, were there? There's nothing like that. No, 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 not at all. I think there was there was a pullback on I think just overall excitement about the category just in general because of some of the the troubles like the winks of the world. So I think that's probably why and and people are starting to realize that hardware is hard. So I think that's part of this larger theme of okay, guys, if you're making a cool device, great, but what's the business model here? How how do we make money? So right. I think that's pr- probably why we didn't see any of those right. big deals. Yeah, and you talked about it on our on our show last year. Just some re- retrenchment going on in in the smart home, and and I look back to when Seth and I started doing the home tech podcast. It was uh, coming up on three years ago, and it wasn't long after we had started doing it that uh, the whole you know Nest acquisition went down, and and Smart Things was that same year, and um, that was just a wild year in terms of home automation hubs and platforms coming to the market. And I, I do think right now we're we're seeing that. Things sort of shake out, maybe consolidate in a, in a loose sense of the word, uh, in terms of people just reevaluating what's our what's our value add, what are we coming to market with, and I think it goes back to your point that you mentioned earlier, just seeing interesting innovation in in point products and people looking at the market differently and saying we don't have to be the be all end all or the one stop shop for everybody if we can just come out with a cool product that that solves a problem in a unique way, uh, we can make a nice run at it. I think one of the areas where we did see some innovation and some excitement is was in a kind of a surprising place, which is Wi-Fi. You know, Wi-Fi, we tend to think of like this old boring technology, but Jason, one of your your surprises for the year was uh the interest and excitement around mesh Wi-Fi. Yeah, this to me was was definitely the biggest surprise of the year. Like if you would have talked to me last year and said, hey, Wi-Fi is going to be a sexy category by the end of this year, I, I would have thought you were crazy, but here we are. <laughs> I don't know. I think Mike actually said that. Maybe not those words, but I think he kind of hinted at that. <laughs> oh, did he? Last year's. I'm now going to grade myself. I'm now a C plus now. I've been my grade up. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we had started to see maybe some of the early signs of it, but gosh, you've got um, Eero, Luma, Plume, Ubiquity, Amplify, Securify, Almond. They've been around for a while, but they've got the Almond 3 now. Netgear's Orbi. I have my I have my Google Wi-Fi sitting here right now. Google Wi-Fi, yeah. So, I mean, just rattling off some of those, I'm, I'm sure there's probably one or two um, that I missed. Uh, Starry Wi-Fi is another one, I think, coming at it from a slightly different angle. But there's, there's just a lot of companies trying to solve that Wi-Fi problem, I guess, if you could say there's a problem. I, I, I do think that in a lot of existing homes, um, my parents are a great example. Uh, you know, decent-sized home with really poor Wi-Fi coverage and, and not a lot of infrastructure. It was built, um, you know, a while back. And so, you know, relying on repeaters has really been the only option uh, in the past. And, and as anyone who who's tried to use those or had to support clients who, who tried to use them, they're generally pretty awful. And so having, you know, great uh, mesh options at a low price point is is super compelling. And so when you look at it now, in hindsight, I'm not surprised given how much more demands the average consumer is really putting on their network and their Wi-Fi, it's it's obviously an area of opportunity. But I do have to wonder how many of these companies are going to be able to make a, a sustained run at it, given the amount uh, of competition there. And then the last thing I thought that that ties into this story that was interesting was was Apple's recent sort of quiet announcement, I would say, uh, that they're getting out of the router business. And I, I just have to wonder, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's pure speculation, but I just have to wonder if if Apple was looking at their technology and thinking, well, we've got a choice. We've either got to, you know, revamp this and, and get into the mesh game or just get out because there's just too much competition. And I just have to wonder how much, if at all, that factored into their decision. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point because really they were the company that was able to sell a router outside of that commoditized space. And now we have all these companies that are selling these Wi-Fi access point systems and not, you know, aside from a router, you might already have a router, but now you have this mesh network of just your wireless and that's going to cost you anywhere from three to $500. It's kind of impressive that people are paying it. It is, but it, you know, Wi-Fi is a pain point for people, right? And I think that obviously we don't know how many people are buying it. Um, but I think that it, this is one of those interesting things for, for me and Seth, I think coming from the Cedia background um, that we do, you know, I, I look at it from two sides. For me, spending $500 on Wi-Fi for my house when I've got a perfectly functioning airport network, probably not going to happen. But for, you know, my clients, and we have a lot of them, uh, $500 is a steal compared Absolutely. to what we would have had to do, uh, you know, just a year or two ago to right. get them into any sort of mesh, mesh solution. So right. all relative, of course, and, and certainly not implying, you know, $500 is, is nothing to sneeze at, but but it is a matter of uh, what angle you're looking at it from as well. And I think it's interesting that they've managed to kind of take it out of this commoditized space and now looked at ways of adding features, adding like family content management and access times and all all kinds of things where they can really provide a good experience and an understandable way of managing your network in ways that companies like Cisco and Netgear and others have completely failed at for years. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm glad to see these products out. Uh, You know, the performance is there um, and even better for me. Uh, the way these things look, I'm just so happy that somebody released a Wi-Fi product that doesn't look like a robotic spider. <laughs> um, because the, the, these things got so ugly. I just, you know, they just got so ugly. And like, why would anybody want to look at these things? And then I get one of the ubiquity amplifies in and I'm looking at it. It's a really nice looking product. I mean, the Eero, we saw them at Cedia and Luma. Uh, these things look great. So um, I'm, I'm just happy that these things are are, are, are consumer focused and and really look like it's something you'd put out on your desk and uh, just to get used uh, get, not only to get good Wi-Fi but also to to have something that doesn't look like crazy alien spaceship thing that some nerd came up with you know like it's just it's it's well designed <laughs> stuff and right. I, I really appreciate right. that Jason your last surprise of the year very quickly you mentioned physical control. This this will not be a surprise to Seth. I know <laughs> <Nope>. that, <laughs> and probably not to listeners of our show. I don't know. Again, this this question's about what's your favorite story, right? Or what what resonated with you? And I I just love this space, and, and I think it's got a long ways to go uh, in terms of of developing and, and getting more mature. But this idea of getting back to physical control, I think there's there's some app fatigue happening in the smart home. I think people are are looking for ways to control and interact with their home other than fumbling for a phone or a tablet and Part of that goes back to, uh, of course, voice user interfaces, but I think part of it also ties into you know people wanting just a simple old-fashioned button that they can push and get a predictable result. And so you've got companies like Flick, um, Logitech announced their Logitech Pop, uh, Fibraro is kind of a, a professionally installed solution as I understand it. Uh, I'm not too familiar with them, but they've got one called the Button. Um, you know, Seven Hugs is is one that I kind of tie into this Seven Hugs Smart Remote. Um, they're, they're, they're cool looking product, I think. And just saw an email from them. They've got a million dollars in, in pre-sales, 
uh, for their smart remote. And so I, I tie that into that category as well. Just, you know, ways to control your smart home uh, aside from using an app. And I think that physical control really does, in my opinion, have a place in the smart home moving forward. I love buttons. I think Richard's made fun of my button love before. Uh, no, I, Mike, I, you and I are cut I, from the I, same I cloth. Like, I, I, I like a good, just a button. <laughs> Give me a button. I, I like the tactile tactile feedback. I mean... I do too. And and I was actually really bummed. I, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm a big Pebble fan. And I had actually crowdfunded their last watch. And I, I didn't get it. And they refunded my money this week, so I was bummed. What they also had was that the Pebble... I forget I'm, the name's escaping me now, but that Pebble button, they actually had their own connected button that had API integration with Spotify. And I just had this vision of like this button that was going to go on my keychain that it could connect to cool services. So I, I love this idea of very simple interfaces, physical interfaces. I like that too. I think it's a great idea I, for Pebble. I thought it was a distraction for them, but I think there are many companies that are doing this well. I love the Fabaro offering. I, I, we're talking and I have an image of the Fabaro button on my desktop because I'm working on a story about it. And they have this big red button that looks like a panic alarm, like a big, huge, <laughs> don't touch this button that should be under a plastic cage. You know, I love that. I think I want one of those. I think, it, I think in fairness, it comes in different colors, right? It does. It totally does. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but I, it does. It looks like a panic button. Yeah. So right about now we need a sound effect, Seth. What does the button sound like? We press that big red button. There we go. No, the only sound effect I have. No. <laughs> we need it was like a, we're a sad horn. We're, sound we're a volunteer show, Mike. That's the only one we got. <laughs> Please contribute so we can get better sound effects. And my favorite offering here is still to date the Pico remote. I think the Pico remote is probably one of the best options out there for providing yeah, people who otherwise don't have a means of controlling their electronic devices with something that is a physical switch that can fit in the wall. Love those things. And we didn't mention the dash. We got to mention the dash because I think yep. the I like the idea of the AWS button that they actually put out for developers that isn't tied to any sort of cheap packaged good that you can actually develop around. I think I've been I've been crying and telling Amazon they need to do an all-purpose button. I'd love it for them to do that. Seth, I think that was the button that you ridiculed for for doing nothing, right? Yes, the button that does nothing. It costs <laughs> <laughs> twenty dollars yeah. to do nothing. Yep. <laughs> It'll get there. It'll get there. Now, I just I love the idea of physical control. It's a, it's a, a area that I watch closely, and and I think that uh, we'll be interested to see what uh, continues to develop in that space. Now we have a supersized show growing, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, Richard. So we're going to move on. I'm going to be the. I'm going to step into my moderator role here and, and crack the whip a little bit. Uh, we can. We're a bunch of talkers. We can probably make this like a three hour episode. But we're going to move on to the second question, the second overall theme, or maybe it's the third now, uh, on what we think was the most overall important story for a smart home. What was the biggest story? And Seth, we're going to start with you. Oh boy. Well, I, I think this year. Um for me, it's been security and seeing what what has happened uh, here, geez, in the last even couple of weeks. But I mean, this has been going on on all year. Um, with with the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, botnets just become into existence from from nothing. It seems these are these they were people left insecure, uh, what they call Internet of Thing devices uh, on the internet and. Bad actors came along and scooped those devices up and put them under their control and then started to do 
really bad things with them, like massive DDoS attacks and bringing down websites that you and I use every day. So, I mean, I I think that this is a um, <clears throat> this is an emerging thing. It's still going on. We know that the Mira botnet that was out there has broken off and splintered off into like fifty some odd other botnets. Um, and they're still seeing these massive amounts of traffic that are that are that are out there. I, I think that there there will be more of these attacks to come and more devices infected with uh, what's a what is essentially a virus. Um, and I think we're going to have to really sit down and think next year <laughs> how to fix this problem because it is fixable. The, the devices that were hacked weren't installed correctly. Um, by I mean, most of them were were cameras like IP cameras. So uh, whoever opened up ports and put these on onto the wild west internet uh installed them incorrectly um and i i i hate to think of it but i i think i mean i'm not a big government regulation person but i I think this is going to be one of those things that you're going to see the government get involved with and and say at a minimum if you if you produce a device that has uh that connects to the internet that device has to be able to be updated securely and you have to prove that before you can sell the device i mean they they do this with with all sorts of things like, you know, cars and uh, other things like that. Like, why not with an uh, internet camera that by itself can't do very much, but collectively can can bring down in, uh, billions of dollars of commerce? Um, the the interesting thing that I'm I'm still, like, struggling with on this, this story, particularly the one about the, the Mirai botnet or however you pronounce that, is, you know, it's just this, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what this means, but... It wasn't like the end users that were really impacted by this story. It was like their cameras were hijacked and converted into zombie computers on this botnet army, and they went out and attacked Dyn, a big DNS server, and took down internet all over the East Coast. And you know, people who had these cameras in their homes probably had no idea, right, that that was even happening. And so it just, to me, again, I don't know what to make of that, but it's an interesting wrinkle to the story. And I think that, you know, it it's doing good in the long run in the sense that it's raising awareness and that people are becoming more tuned into the fact that connected devices do come with vulnerabilities and they should be taking that into account when they make their buying decision. Uh, But I I still think that, you know, until this story hits home in a more, you know, prominent way where end users themselves are really uh, directly affected I think that it, it's still going to struggle to get the attention of of like the mainstream news consumer. I guess. I th- yeah, I think this is a huge story. I think you, both of your guys' comments are spot on. I think it's, you know, we can't rely on consumers who, by and large, aren't technical people to to have to install things correctly. We have to design products that go out to them, and one of those things is to force them to move away from the default password. Uh, do some sort of onboarding that doesn't require that is they just can't plug it in and it's, it's password is the password it's that is a problem uh, that I think can be easily you know that's one of the easy things we could fix I think I work with the Internet Things Consortium and they're working as a body to create uh, better best practices I think we saw the the Department of Homeland Security release release uh, basically a memo after the Mirai bot attack about hey we need to do these best practices so. I think it, this was a big wake-up call. This is going to be – we're getting a little bit into next year, but this will be a huge story going into 2017. Yeah, yep. Now, let's move on to you, Jason. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this idea of uh, smart home as a service, recurring monthly revenue. This is one of the things you think was the – or you think was the biggest story of 2016. Yeah, yeah, and obviously that's colored a little bit by 
by the angle that I'm coming at the market from, but I, I do think that it it is applicable, and, and I won't spend a ton of time talking about it because I know we discussed it a little bit in, earlier in the show, but I, I think it's applicable even to DIY companies uh, who you referred to are, are trying to figure out, you know, how do we make a, a sustainable business out of this? If we're going to try to get into the smart home uh, with one-time hardware sales and that's it, uh, you know, how long is that really going to work for? And so everybody from DIY companies all the way up to the highest level integrators out there who are doing, you know, six and seven figure uh, installations, everybody across the board, in my opinion, is looking at, you know, service, the smart home as a service at Julie Jacobson over at CE Pro kind of coined that term. And, and I think it's a great one. And and so to me, that that's the biggest story. Uh, I think if you look at it specifically from the home technology professional, from the CEDIA angle, clearly the story is about uh, the increasing competition and downward price pressure that we're seeing in the smart home on what have uh, in the past been really specialized and, and high ticket uh, products are, are becoming a little bit more commoditized and, and we're not there yet to where home, you know, the CDA channel is, is uh, in danger. I, I'm, an, I'm not in that camp. I'm an optimist. I think that home technology professionals have a bright future, but I do think part of that future, a, a significant part um, is cracking that RMR code. Uh, and part of that is remote systems management. Uh, again, figuring out how we can minimize our warranty support costs, provide a really high level of, of uh, uptime and, and great uh, customer experience for our clients. So to me, without question, biggest story of the year was, was that smart home as a service. Yeah, I think that's the the big, even in the DIY space, that's the big focus. How do you move beyond just a one-time hardware sale? And this is a move veering a little bit into, I think, this the third tier of managed, the third tier of smart home we don't talk a lot about, but the the managed smart home from the, the big cable guys and some of the security guys, that actually is maybe the one of one of the most successful segments of the market. And I actually think the one company we never talk about that is probably the most successful smart home company is Vivint. I mean, Vivint is just killing it. And they're doing they, they don't even call themselves a security company. They call themselves a smart home company. So I think uh, th- that that managed smart home, people will pay for that. I'm still amazed by that because I just don't want to have to pay for that as a consumer. I don't even want to have to pay a security company. So to pay for someone to manage, and particularly maybe Vivint is a different story, but like if it were my AT&T or my Verizon or whatever, I don't want to pay them extra money to manage my home, probably because I'm more of a DIY guy. But yeah. I just, yeah, Richard, I was going to say, there, there's a lot of things we could say about you. And one of them for sure is that you are not the average consumer. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good point. But don't you also feel like companies are are trying to potentially extract additional money from customers, particularly when they're telecom providers and they're trying to get smart home services and that consumers have a mistrust of that? Yeah, I, I think that that could be a... A fair assessment. I think there's got to be a value add uh, for these companies, and I, I think that's that's the big question. But I I, I don't know that I, I see it as them. I think extracting money has has negative connotations. I think they're they're trying to figure out how they can uh, come at the smart home, provide some value, and and get you know a, a recurring monthly fee out of that. Now that's going to range from company to company and how they approach that and what sort of level of value are they really delivering of course we could debate that we could easily spend a whole yep. episode talking about that but but I, I think that you know it it runs the gamut and I, again I think for the average consumer 
um, who just wants a turnkey solution and maybe $30, $40 a month isn't a huge deal to them budgetarily, uh, I think it, it, you know, that's something they won't even bat an eye at. Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny because I feel like it's, it, you know, there's that low end consumer where they just give me a solution, give me something that I can pay for. And then there's people in the middle who are more technical and they may want to do it themselves like me. And then there are your customers who are more likely to probably spend on services like this. It's interesting how that market is segmented. Yeah. It, and there's, there's some, um there's some interesting things this year that have happened. I mean, um, Echo Star was was one of these companies that was getting into this, and and they completely dropped their home security, home automation yeah, line off. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, so I I I mean I I know everybody is, and I think what was it Verizon was the one that kind of like kind of moved theirs around a little bit. It's still out there, but Sage's was just completely shut down and discontinued. And that's that was that was a very strange one to me. Um, and I, I'm not I, I kind of fall I'm kind of falling on the the side with Richard here where. You know, the the Echo Star customer, the the Dish Network customer, is somebody looking probably to to save a couple bucks on a cable bill, and for them to offer a, a premium service on top of it, um, really, I don't know if it just hit the mark of their customer or not. I mean, even if they did have the extra couple of dollars, these people were moving to save more than they could even save by moving to Dish Network. So, uh, <laughs> I would, I would, I would wonder if if these are. I mean, I, they're out there. The managed home market is there, but I, I just I wonder how well that's going to be um, done moving forward. I, I I like what Vivint's done. I like that they're a third party and they're not offering you know the the home services yep. and everything. I think they're they're doing a bang up job. But um, you know the, this 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 is a strange one to me. It kind of will continue to be a strange one to me. Like I said, I'm I'm falling along the line of like yeah, they're extracting money from you rather than giving you anything good. <laughs> <laughs> No one loves the cable company. Sorry, Comcast. And that's the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that middle ground player, like the simplest saves of the world that I think are kind of bring you the best of both worlds. They got your self-install for you, Richard. Um, They allow you to move. And that's what ADT was trying to do um, with their, with their canopy service, which they basically said, Hey, here's our, here's our, here's our security service. If you're a DIY home security company, you can now integrate with the professional monitoring and, and uh, security service. And, and you can offer your product. They'll pay us a little bit of money. So I do think there's some innovation happening in that space and maybe some ways in which you can fit the needs of people who don't want to pay and get it to your contract. So I still think that area is going to be interesting to watch for sure. Let's want, let's move on to my, I think what I think was a story of the year. I think without a doubt, uh, Amazon and the Echo and Alexa was the story of the year for smart home. And I'm gonna I'm gonna one up all you guys. I've actually been doing a survey on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna date I'm gonna world debut my survey results to a certain degree. Uh, when I did a survey of of smart home insiders through my newsletter and through social media, this by far was the runaway story. Two thirds of the people who responded said this was the biggest story of the year. I think. We all kind of saw last year, we saw, hey, Amazon with Echo and Alexa. Wow, this is a surprise. Um, but I didn't think it would, you know, I don't know if we knew what kind of magnitude of success they would have this year. And I, I think just strategically, I talked a little bit about this before, maybe, um, I think last year, you know, Amazon just is outmaneuvering to a certain degree. You know, they're playing, they're playing, this is an old saying, but they're playing chess or everyone's playing checkers. Uh, they kind of did this thing that no one really expected. And now everyone's trying to kind of copy that. Right. You know, Google's trying to do the same thing. So, uh 
kudos to well, them. Speaking of outmaneuvering, Mike, how, how could you come to the table with this big survey result? <laughs> Heads up on that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hats well, off I, to you. you. Know, I, I, well, this is – I'm world debuting it on our podcast, guys. I'm so. flattered. No, I, I think it is clearly. Uh, we've said a lot about AI and, and voice control, so I, I won't rehash it. I, I agree, it's huge, huge story in the smart big, home. Obviously. Big enough that it was my pick too. I honestly think that the digital home assistant at large is the big story of this past year. I was a naysayer. I was the person talking with you, Jason, on previous episodes about yep. how I still don't believe in voice. And largely, it was because Siri was so bad. And I think that what Amazon proved is that you can do it right. You can provide developers with the right tool set. You can iterate and you can gradually provide additional capabilities in an agile way. And if you don't know that term, don't worry about it. But the point is that they have incrementally improved this product since it landed in my home. I got one of these not because I bought one, but because I received it as a gift. And I can't imagine my household without it right now. Very cool. And they're continu they're continuing, right? I mean, they they released the dot. Um, they released uh, bought some of them. Oh, you bought a dot. So you actually, so now you're so, you're such a convert. You went out and bought it. I, you know, I think maybe if we, in a couple of years, Richard's doubting of uh, voice control will be like the people who said the internet was a fad. So we're going to have to surface that like three, sh three years exactly. from now, we're going to surface that and play it for you, Richard. It, it's like when the people at Apple get on stage and say, we're never going to do this. You should pay attention to that. <laughs> right. I got to admit, I was a late convert to the voice control game as well. And, and a lot of it had to do with um, just how bad uh, they were, like you alluded to, Richard. But also, I think in hindsight, to me, it was a, a form factor thing. And, and when voice control was still tied to pulling a phone out of your pocket and pushing a button and waiting for a second to then issue a command, to me, it just that that was just too much friction, I think. Right. And, and so having that always on form factor to me was the big kind of turning point when we talk about uh, AI and, and smart assistants right. in the home. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always had a hard time imagining how do you get mics all over the house? I mean, seriously, how do you do that? I never would have come up with the concept that Amazon did. Never. You know what? There was a, and I'm going back to the Amazon Go thing that really surprised me about that video. The one thing no one really talked about at the beginning of the video, and I think this plays out to all their things they're doing. They said, Four years ago, we started to think about how to reinvent the grocery store. And I'm thinking, you've been working on this for four years. So it makes you wonder, what else <laughs> wow, are they working yeah. on? What other crazy things are Am is Amazon working on? Come on, let's be serious. All they did was they bought the mini bar company. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So, Seth, do you have a sound effect for, like, looking in the crystal ball? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll edit it in right now. It'll be... <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it in post. We'll put that in post. So now is the part of the <laughs> podcast where we, we look into our crystal balls. We put it, we look into these binoculars and see what's coming in the next year. Richard, we're going to put you on the hot seat and ask you what your big predictions are for 2017 in the smart home. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is happening is that people are getting sick of all the apps. And I have to say that I have anticipated this for years I think the idea that every product has to have its own app 
is a terrible idea. And frankly, that's one of the appeals that hubs, that was for the bell, have offered (laughs) over the years. So I think that we're going to see additional consolidation through products like the Echo, like HomeKit, like Google Home, perhaps like Cortana. I think we're going to see that there are companies recognizing that they can fill a gap where people don't want to have 27 apps on their phone, but instead some centralized means of controlling the things in their life. And I think that's going to be a big thing. Definitely. And that that is something that uh, obviously as home technology professionals, we've been providing that value add for a long time in terms of consolidating different control devices. But but it's a whole different game when you start talking about you know these DIY products and, and how does that eventually consolidate and shake out for uh, potentially an average uh, a consumer. And so I think I think you're right. It goes back to app fatigue. Everybody's getting tired of, of fumbling through different apps and stuff. And so where does where do we go from here? Seth, what is your big prediction for the year? I think it kind of falls in line with with Richard here and in a couple I'm looking at the notes, a couple of other predictions here, but um I'm gonna I'm gonna say Siri in the can is real this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So <laughs> You know, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here listening to um to the conversation on the echo that we we just had, and I'm thinking, am I the only one that's feeling pessimistic about this? Uh, Amazon has created a, a good product, but where does this thing go? It doesn't look like Amazon has a clear vision for Echo. Yes, they've really. They've, it, you don't think so? I, I don't. I mean, they've iterated. They've they've put out these little building blocks that you, as an enthusiast, can build and put something together. But they they haven't. I don't really think they've they've made it come full circle uh, to be part of a compelling story. I have a I have a feeling we're in for another Seth and Richard throwdown. No, we don't have time for that. Cage match. We don't have time for that. But I, I guess I mean I would just say that I would disagree with that. I believe that they have a program level backlog for what to do with this product, and they are just slowly working where their way through that with the capabilities that they're adding over time. And it's really just a matter of time and resources to be able to get it out there. Yeah. Time's a good thing. I think they're, they're going to run up on it too. When, when other products come out and start competing and beating them. Uh, I'm looking at Google home this month uh, just now came up with their, their API. I don't know where that's going to go, but just today, there's already posts on the Control 4 forums about uh, some dealer who's written a Control 4 driver for it. So, you know, that that took something that took Amazon Echo. I probably had mine over a year and a half before we saw Control 4 integration. Took Google a couple of months. Um, you know, you know the, the Amazon is not as big as Google or Apple in, in this respect. So I, I'm just wondering how how much further they're going to get down the road with this. Um, before you are saying, oh, it's a great little device that I have, but I do everything this way. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think that Siri and, and, and Google are going to be some pretty formidable opponents, opponents uh, that, that Amazon is, is looking up a bigger hill, I think, than anybody realizes at this point. Uh, because to me, the Echo is still very, very basic in, in what it can do um, and very... I, you know, I hate to say it, nerdy, like it's not, it's something fun that you can ask 
you know, tell me a dumb joke and it'll tell you a dumb joke. But um, to do any of the the integrations with it still takes, you know, a bit of a, um, a, a bit of a turn. Like it's not something that that I'm going to hand off to my parents and say, hey, do this and hook them up to your Philips Hue lights and, and see what you can do with this, if this and that. That's not going to happen. But I guarantee you when Apple comes to the table with whatever the Siri they can is, it's going to, it's going to have a more elegant interface to getting onboarded. So I have a wild ass prediction on what that is. Okay. I think Siri in a can isn't going to be Siri in a can. And I think that's a good thing because I don't want Apple to come out with an appliance because I think that would be a me too solution. And that is not what Apple does. Apple refines concepts until they figure out how to deliver it properly. My wildest prediction, I hope that doesn't require an explicit tag, is <laughs> <laughs> that we're not going to see Siri in a can, but we're going to see Siri in Sonos. Hmm. Whoa. <laughs> Interesting. You heard it here first. Woo! Well, yeah, it so, so, kind of makes so Richard, sense it, for them to supply the uh, the AI to other other products. I mean, that would that would make sense. So, yeah. Is my is my like cry appeal to Apple to buy Sonos? Is this what you see happening? I've been writing about this for years. Well, please buy it's Sonos. Funny. Are I they going to do you it? You have been writing about that for years, and now we see a tighter partnership between Sonos and Apple than we ever have. Enough so that I'm also willing to make another prediction that I don't even have in my notes here that, Seth, we're going to see AirPlay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that would, that's going to be great. I get my first child and AirPlay on Sonos. <laughs> All in one year. Yeah. Well, when you see AirPlay, that's when you know the Siri in a Sonos can is getting close. Yeah. There you yeah, go. That that would be very. Those two predictions would be very cool, and I I think um, well we'll see what they can pull off. Uh, so you know, Siri that, Siri and a Sonos is what we can call it. Yep, that would be cool. Okay, Jason, what's your big prediction for the year? Yeah, we can move through mine quick because we have talked about it a lot, and that is AI, um, bigger than voice control. A lot of people have been talking about AI as you know as if it's a voice control solution. And I think in the home technology space in particular, I've heard that conversation quite a bit. And we have to remember AI is much bigger than voice control. This is about actual intelligence, actual, you know, Seth talked about it earlier, building that intelligence into the home where the home is thinking for us and making suggestions and acting proactively. I think continued innovation there in AI is huge. And then next generation inter interfaces in general, like we talked about, uh, and that's where you get into voice control and uh, really anything other than an app, right? Let's let's look at physical control um, and voice and, and see where else some of that stuff can go. And so I think, to me, those look like probably the biggest stories uh, ahead in 2017. I love that. I do, too. I'm going to go with mine. I'll start with my wild-ass prediction. Robots. <laughs> Just, that's it. Mike dropped. <laughs> enough. Enough said. Are these like the Boston Mechanics style robots that you're afraid of, or I? I just think uh, robotics is going to become a bigger and bigger story uh, over time, and I think there's just a natural integration at some point with robotics at some level with the smart home, and whether that's like you know Roomba based understanding. I, I actually did. I just recorded a podcast. I haven't published it yet, but uh, the the guy, one of the chief innovation guys for 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 iControl or iRobot, not iControl. Um, you know, one of the things that he said is they they have a unique view with their their 
uh, Roombas in that they can actually do a 2D map of the home, unlike anyone else. And and they can also start to use this robot to maybe, you know, I threw this out there. What else can you do? This do? Can you like use it to respond to security calls or if there's motion in another room? He goes, sure, we can do that. So I just think using robotics in the home is going to be a natural kind of peanut butter and jelly integration with the smart home. I don't know if it's next year, but I think we're going to see some companies coming out with some interesting things there. So I'm, I'm picturing a Roomba with a taser attached to it. <laughs> Which would be awesome. That would be awesome. I still think about that wink commercial. Uh, the the creepy robot that's watching. <laughs> that was so creepy. Oh wow! Watching the watching the mom and workout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my maybe this is going to go in the smart home like museum at some point. But I have my uh, Wink Robot T shirt. Do you guys <laughs> any of you guys have one of those? No. Yeah. No, can't say I do. <laughs> my other predictions. Uh, I think this kind of ties into what some of you guys said, but I think smart home is going to go increasingly into the fabric of the home. You know, I think, uh, you know, Richard, you've talked a little bit in the past about how Ikea is doing interesting stuff, or they could be maybe one of the interesting companies in Smart Home. Right. I just think building intelligence into the fabric of the home, whether that's furniture, you know, new home builds, I just think that becomes more and more of an important thing over time. So I think we'll see a little bit of that next year. I love that. And certainly HomeKit is one of the possibilities there, right? I mean, Apple was making a big move trying to partner with home builders to enable homes that are available to new home buyers with HomeKit compatible devices already a part of the home. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like I have a smart thermostat and a light switch that can work together. I mean, it potentially could mean all your lighting, all your HVAC, including the HVAC devices themselves, your appliances. I mean, the, the breadth of this is pretty significant. I think there's a lot of possibility here. There's a company that I'm actually, uh, I have to do a disclosure, I, I'm consulting with a little bit, Asterix, called Neurotechnologies. But they actually are doing light switches that have a contextual understanding of the home. So they want to basically build some of the smart home intelligence into a light switch. So, And they don't even have a camera, but they can know whether or not it's you or a dog or whatever, just based on, on motion sensing and not even using a camera. Hmm. So that type of stuff, I think is that type of stuff. I think will be interesting. Go ahead, sorry, Richard. I want to teach my dog how to use a light switch. I think that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Apple and any company that can can get into um, into being a, a just a, a line item on a on a home being built is uh, is is such a smart move at this point because you know Jason works with these builders. I've worked with the builders in the past. I mean. They're they're looking to move people into the homes, and if if they can have a company kind of like Apple or uh, you know even maybe Samsung behind them, and say, hey, this this is a smart home. It's it's made and kind of approved by Apple. I mean that's that's huge for them, and I, I you know it's just a smart move all the way around. Apple gets their product or their their infrastructure into the home, uh, even even third party devices, you know like. Um, Ecobee thermostats could get into the home and, and, and they would, they would hardware would get put in. And then for the integrators or installers like Jason, myself, um, we get to sell and install upgraded hardware into, into home. And at the end of the day, this is all stuff that, uh, that people, uh, people want, they want to have this stuff in their homes and they, they want to be, uh, to, to, to be in a house that has smarter devices so they can, you know, they can sit back and, and, and control it. So, I'm excited about about that, Mike. That's that's a pretty good pick. I, I really didn't think about that, but um, 
that, that's a really good pick for this year. I'm hoping to see that come come true. And I'll, I'll do my one last point, and I think it's related. I think uh, we're going to increasingly see smart home just built into things, and that could be appliances. So I think you know we're going to see you know I think we're seeing success with the with the standalone discrete products like doorbells, but I think over time you'll see things like Whirlpool and these large appliance makers. You know whether it's Samsung with smart things build in smart home. And I think what that opens the door for is innovative business models. You know, I was uh, at a, a conference about a month or two ago, and there's this guy talking about this concept of appliance as a service. And and so there's this idea, uh, appliance as a, a service is something where you don't buy your, your white good, you don't buy your refrigerator, you don't buy your washing machine, you basically are just buying it as a service. It's a monthly fee. And if two years from now, three years from now, you want to trade it in for the newest model, uh, Samsung brings that out, you have the newest model. So... And this doesn't have to be just this model. I think overall we're going to see once you get a bunch of connected appliances out there, you can see more innovative business models. One idea I wrote about was kitchen as a service, right? Because uh, I read a lot about the smart kitchen. But what what if you're Whirlpool and you just want to install a managed kitchen into someone's home and, you know, you have the Whirlpool refrigerator, Whirlpool oven, Whirlpool uh, this product, and it's you just pay a monthly fee. I don't have to spend $10,000 for the, the Gen Air kitchen, I just pay $500 a month for the generic kitchen. I have all the cutting edge appliances. So, it, it, you know, that may be like a crazy idea, it may never come to fruition, but I think we're going to see more people experimenting with business models. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. Seth and I had a gentleman named Daniel Obadovsky on our show a while back. He wrote a book called The Silent Intelligence and a uh, pretty broad book. I would I'd recommend it for anybody who's interested in the internet of things and, and what we're talking about right here specifically. Uh, with this conversation, a, a pretty fascinating take. And he talked about some of the opportunities that could present themselves uh, when that sort of intelligence is built into things like water heaters or furnaces or, or refrigerators in terms of uh, you, you talk about the product integrating with services, right? That's a conversation we've been having and and how local service companies, home technology guys like me, for example, could potentially be tied into a, a central I don't know what the proper term for it is, a database or something that these are all uh, reporting back to and, and helping homeowners connect those dots and get proactive service from qualified professionals uh, before a small problem becomes a big one. And so that's a broad reaching, uh, you know, I'm painting with, with broad strokes there, but uh, interesting, I think, as, as you see intelligence getting built in uh, to products themselves and what the possibilities are there, not just for the manufacturer, but also for tying into even potentially local uh, service providers. Well, guys, we're at the part of the show. Where we're going to start wrapping it up. We're going to start like the, the fire's dying down. My, my glass is empty. Uh, I, need, I need some more eggnog. Time for a refill. I need more yep. beer. I need more beer. But before we wrap this thing up, the supersized second annual Christmas special or holiday special, uh, Festivus special, we're going to do a little pimping of our shows. So I'll start. Uh, I'm, I do a, a show called the Smart Home Show, which we were all making fun of because I put it out at a very chunky, irregular basis. You guys are like clockwork. Richard, I think, <laughs> publishes his at the same time every time. Uh, at, least, at least if he wasn't so busy, he would. And you guys do too. But uh, my show is the Smart Home Show. Listen to it. You can find it on technology.fm or you just look at it in your, in your favorite podcast app. And Richard, what, what show do you do? Well, I host Home On, and that's a show that is really focused on DIY or over-the-counter products. People who are interested in just doing this stuff themselves, 
We focus on You don't need a prescription. Technology. You don't need a prescription for your products. You can just buy the products you talk and about. And the products, exactly. <laughs> you can just get them, buy them. You don't need a doctor's approval or anything. <laughs> it's awesome. So if that's of interest to you, check us out at the Digital Media Zone at thedigitalmediazone.com. And lastly, Seth and Jason what do you got? What do you What do you guys do? And I think you should pimp also not only your podcast but your new your new business effort. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate that. So we do the Home Tech Podcast, which you can find uh, on our website at hometech.fm, or of course in all the the iTunes and and you know podcast directories that you would expect. Uh, Seth and I, as we've talked about here, come at it from the you know home technology professional side. That's what we both do. That's what we've been doing for a very long time. But we also talk about DIY products, and I know we've got a lot of listeners to our show. Uh, who come from that angle as well. And we really see one of the big things happening is a DIY, a, a convergence in the smart home, and we see those lines as blurring. And so that's something that we talk about quite a bit. But yeah, we do come at it from the CDA angle. Uh, we put out a show every Friday, and we really enjoy doing it. We get guests on, have interviews, and sometimes Seth and I just catch up and, and talk about news. So yeah, if there's anybody listening who hasn't uh, checked out our show, we'd love to have you come on over Home Tech. Uh, dot fm is where you can find that and then mike thanks again for a couple of plugs there we recently launched a uh, home tech dot academy which is an online learning site and that one is is targeted right right now at least at, at home technology professionals and we may change that or, or broaden that out to do some diy stuff but it, it's really an online learning platform uh, to help home technology professionals understand the different uh, software tools and products that are out there on the market so we'd encourage people to go check that out as well once again home tech dot academy so thanks again, Mike. We appreciate it. All great podcasts, guys. You can find all of them at technology.fm. But this has been a lot of fun. I, I think we need to keep doing this. Absolutely. Yeah, third annual. This this one crept up. I, I could hardly believe it had been a year. And I'm really excited that we were able to find a time that worked for everybody and, and get back together. And, and Seth, hopefully uh, we didn't interrupt any uh, baby deliveries. Not yet. Not yet. It's soon, though. <laughs> well, congrats on that, by the way. I, I know I've said it on our show, but I'll take this opportunity <laughs> Uh, to say it again, congrats and, and welcome to fatherhood. And I have one piece of advice for you. Do not name your child Alexa, Siri, or Cortana. That's the only advice I'm going to give you. That's good advice. Done. <laughs> and we just set off devices across the entire world. Oh, man. All right, guys. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. All right. Happy holidays. Take care. See you all.